making the big switch from the Tokyo Olympics to the Winter Games in Beijing. Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of the Tokyo Report from Around the Rings. I'm Ed Hula. In just a minute, Sarah Hirschland, CEO of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, will join us to talk about the big transition between Tokyo and Beijing, as well as a possible Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, and what it's like preparing new sports to win medals at the Olympic Games. First, some headlines from Tokyo. Winter Olympian Emma Turo of Finland is the newly elected chair of the IOC Athletes Commission. She succeeds Kirsty Coventry. Turho will now become a member of the IOC Executive Board until 2026 when her term is over on the Athletes Commission. Four new members of the commission elected by athletes at the Tokyo Games will take the oath as IOC members Sunday at the IOC session on the last day of the Games. Also at the IOC session, there will be votes on changes to the Olympic Charter that vest more power in the executive board to discipline errant sports federations, including suspending those federations from the Games. As the Olympics in Tokyo draw to a close, the U.S. is poised to end the Tokyo Games with more than 100 medals, far ahead of China, the closest rival on the table. Our guest on the Tokyo Report is certainly pleased with those results. Sarah Hirschland, CEO of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, is attending her first Olympics in that role since she came aboard in 2018. It's always a pleasure to have you on Around the Rings, Sarah Hirschland. Uh, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you and uh, great, to, great to catch up on all things Olympic Games. Well, it's, uh, it's the end of the Games and the medal tally keeps growing for the United States. Are you overall pleased with the, uh, with the results you, you're seeing in Tokyo from the U.S. Olympians? Well, certainly we are absolutely pleased and, um, you know, the, the performances of Team USA have been extraordinary by, by all measures. And, and we have a couple that we're, we're not quite done yet. We have a couple days left. So we still have some, some pretty big teams and important competitions yet to come. And we're feeling great uh, about where we are. And, and frankly, we, you know, we've accomplished what we came here to accomplish. And that feels terrific. And well, what, when you say you've accomplished, what 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 would be the, the 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 goal that you accomplished in Tokyo? Well, to have you know the 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 goal for us as an organization is always to support athletes and their ability to achieve their full potential. And we have seen so many Team USA athletes uh, probably achieve things even they weren't sure they could accomplish, and we've seen them hit those those incredible peaks in performance. And, and that's just, it's heartwarming and it's incredibly rewarding. There was extraordinary attention paid to gymnastics, in particular, Simone Biles. And of course, that was a story that had its twists and turns, if I can uh, make a pun on, on the sport <laughs> there. But um, have you seen anything like that? What was that like as 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 part of the 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 U.S. team for, for Tokyo, having such a, a bright light shining on the gymnastics team? Well, certainly, you know, your first your first concern is about Simone's health, um, both her physical health and her mental health. And fortunately, you know, with several days hindsight, we, we now can all feel very confident um, in Simone's health. 
But in, you know, in those moments, uh, it is important that um, we as an organization and as an ecosystem deploy all the resources that we've put in place to ensure we we do provide the support needed for, for those instances. And in this case, um, you know, Simone felt comfortable enough to step back and be brave enough to say, I'm not okay. And that's a, you know, that's great. It's a great compliment to our organization and to the, you know, the environment that she competes in, that she felt comfortable enough and safe enough to acknowledge that. And that she had the personal strength to, to on a very, very visible stage, um, acknowledge that and be vulnerable enough to sort of own that place. I, I couldn't be more proud of her and I think for many years to come, um, we will all reflect back on that as a pivotal moment in, you know, changing the trajectory of how we as a country think about mental health. Well, you you have hi- highlighted the concern about the mental health services resources available to uh, Team USA athletes well before uh, these Olympics happened. Uh, you say that this is going to be perhaps one of these turning point episodes where, well, people really pay attention to what you're saying. I I hope that's the case. And, you know, certainly each instance um, builds, builds the wall as we try to, you know, destigmatize mental health, normalize that as a foundational part of well-being, um, put in place and, and create habits around prevention Um, of mental health challenges, but then also, you know, when there are moments in time where mental health is in question, um, being able to identify and being able to rectify those, those challenges and, and solve for those moments. Um, In this case, I I couldn't be, I couldn't be more pleased with, um, you know, where we are today, looking back on the team stepping in, Simone having the bravery, the support system, both her own support system, that of USA Gymnastics, that of our organization, that of the IOC, everybody lined up to ensure that she had everything she needed and the space to make her own decisions. And that was really important. It happened that way. Um, and it put her back, you know, she made a choice to get back into the competition in a very clear and and comfortable way for her. And, you know, what an amazing outcome to have won a medal along the way. Do you feel that the quality of care that athletes can receive, receive these days for, for mental health equals the resources that they receive now in, in training and, and other medical care? Is there, is there a gap between what they, what athletes uh, can access for for their mental health needs, as opposed to the best training facilities or the best medical care. I, I think it's a progression of understanding, more importantly, how to integrate those mental health resources with the rest of their training and physical um, resources to ensure that you truly are support providing support in a holistic way. Um, and that's something that we're all continuing to learn. That you know that we've put in place a very robust base of mental health professionals and resources uh, for athletes, but those can't be viewed in, in entirely in isolation of the rest of their well-being. And so, finding the pathways and learning how to integrate mental health services 
as we think about the holistic, um, you know, well-being of an athlete, physical and otherwise, is is still a that's still a road and a journey that we're on as an organization for certain. And I think, you know, broadly is where the opportunity for all of us exists as we go forward. One of the uh, issues that we were expecting to provide a little bit of color and controversy during these these games were, were expressions from the athletes uh, uh, covered by Rule 50, the IOC uh, rules regarding uh, when and where uh, athletes can express opinions about political issues and and other 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 issues, but that just didn't really materialize. Uh, we had the case with uh, uh, um, earlier this week, um, but but there was no 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 big demonstrations. Uh, everybody sort of minded their own minded their own business and seemed to be relatively trouble-free in that category. Um, how, why, why did it happen like that? What, why was this uh, something we really didn't need to worry about too much in the end? Well, I think, you know, a couple of things. One, athletes really took advantage of the opportunities provided to them to offer their points of view. And in many cases, that's their own social media platforms and things of that nature. Um, We did see some athletes make, you know, what I would describe as very respectful uh, gestures during their introductions. Also, you know, a place where they were provided some latitude to do that um, by the IOC's sort of expansion of their own rule 50.2. And so I think athletes, you know, what we heard very clearly from our athlete population over the last really now year and a half was help us understand what is and isn't permitted. Listen to us tell you what is important to us and let's find a a common ground. And I think that's exactly what happened. We listened in the US, the IOC listened on a global basis. We all provided a bit more clarity to the athlete community about what was and wasn't permitted. And I think athletes took that information um, in good faith and said, I'm going to make I'm going to make some decisions. And and as you know, they are each unique individuals who will make their own decisions. Um, but I, I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm not surprised by where we are today. There were a number of new sports on the program here in uh, in, in Tokyo, uh, skateboards, sport climbing, uh, karate, uh, surfing. Uh, some of those will be encore sports in the Paris games. How does uh, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee prepare for these for these sports? How, you know, how do you bring them into the family and make them uh, part of the part of the part of the family of the U.S. Sure. PC? You know, for us, there are a couple different components to that. Um, one is, you know, as an as an entity, we recognize. Uh, a national sport federation. And so the process of identifying and certifying those national sport federations or national governing bodies, as we call them, um, is is in and of itself a governance and, and sort of a, a standards process um, that we put each of these organizations into a compliance um, structure, if you will. So that has to happen. Um, and then we start to look at um, how do we 
identify elite athletes? How do we support the investments um, in the tools and resources? In some cases, it's travel, equipment, those kinds of things. Um, in some cases, it's you know physical training. Um, and so each of those decisions is made sport by sport in a custom way once we've got that partner National Sport Federation to work with. That work, as you know, started many, many years ago, and, and now we are in the process of doing that work as we look ahead to the new sports um, that will come in play in Paris. So it is a bit of an ongoing cycle of, of introducing new organizations into the family, um, but it's been incredibly effective, and we've certainly seen the, the fruits of, of the, that labor here in Tokyo. Is there any culture clash? Because surfing, skateboard, uh, breakdancing, are all from uh, you know a, a totally different sort of structure and and culture of athletics than say track and field or volleyball or or, or gymnastics. Well, I think it's a misnomer to suggest that the culture of the sports that were already on the program were the same. Each sport has its own culture. Um, I see that every day. Um, even for sports that have been on the Olympic program for many, many years, um, you know, they're, they're, each sport and each community really does carry its own culture. And, and frankly, it's, it's fun and something to be celebrated. Yes, these are, you know, younger, maybe hipper, cooler, trendier, call them whatever you will. But they have their own cultures, too. And, and you know, you sort of it's, it's adding a bit of diversity at the table, but it isn't as though that diversity didn't already exist. Did you have any idea a few years ago that you might have to be dealing with preparing a, a team for an Olympic team in breaking, breakdancing? <laughs> I did not anticipate that being on my resume, but we're going to have some fun with it. The, the, the results for the United States were kind of mixed with these new sports, uh, skateboarding and, and surfing, which, you know, are, are really indigenous. It seems to the United States, we, 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 we could have, uh, you, United States could have uh, won many more medals. Would think. What kind of uh, support? What kind of interest is there in the U.S. OPC in 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 in, in developing the medal potential in these new sports? Well, of course, we will. Um, we will work hard at that, and you know, we're really thrilled with the results and and what we saw from the U.S. teams in in all of these new sports. So, I'm excited about the foundation that we've built um, to have a medal in skateboarding, to have a medal in surfing. We now have a medal in sport climbing. Um, we're feeling really, really good about that as a as a first performance, and we'll continue to see, uh, as you know, the visibility of these sports grows. People understand um, what you know now the Olympic level competition looks like, um, and I'm I, I'm quite confident that uh, there is a strong and deep pipeline of athletes in in all of these sports in the U.S. As you've said, they are um, you know not new to our to our culture and our society. So I feel really good about the potential for us in in all of them. the uh, the the postponement of the Olympics uh, by one year has. Uh played havoc with everybody's organization and finances involved with the Olympics around the world. Um, how, how is the USOPC recovering from all of this? Um, I understand, for example, the, the board of directors uh, approved a, a private placement of $150 million in, in bonds for, 
to help shore up the USOPC finances. Um, are, are you are you gaining you know getting the the high ground back uh, after all of this, all of these uh, perturbate all this turbulence, if you will, over the past year? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we we did put in place um, the the private placement one to help ensure cash flow continuity. Um, the postponement did absolutely affect timing of payments, cash flow for certain, and we wanted to ensure that 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 disruption wasn't being passed along in the important funding that we provide both to the national governing bodies and to athletes. Um, so we put in place measures to ensure. Uh, that we could contain uh, contain the disruption to just a cash flow issue from our organizational perspective, and we feel great about where we are there. Um, as we sit here today, you know we're we're thrilled that um, we haven't needed to dip into um, that additional cash. We are feeling very confident about the outcome of these games, as you can imagine. And so I think from a financial perspective, the organization was was stable in any case. And now I think we're incredibly well positioned um, from a financial health perspective to be able to continue to invest in the development of Team USA athletes and the, the sort of broader promotion of sport and pipeline development in our country. So I, I couldn't be um, more comfortable with our financial stability and the work that we did to ensure um, that we, you know, had a, a great ability to withstand some some adjustments, and we now have proven that we we knew how to do that, and we had the wherewithal to do that. Um, so our board is feeling very good about it, and and they should. The uh, Paralympics team for Tokyo was just named this week. Uh, Two hundred and forty members of this uh, of this team. Uh, these will be the first Paralympic team under the uh, U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee uh, name. Uh, what are you expecting from this team? Uh, amazing things. And, you know, the energy we see from the Paralympic athletes is, as you know, it's extraordinary. And this is the first time I think this team has really had the opportunity to feel like Team USA is one integrated team. Um, the name change certainly helped that, but we are really thinking about Team USA as one integrated team. And so for us, this is halftime. Um, you know, we're, we're coming up on the last couple of minutes of the first half here. Um, we're going to take a break, regroup, reset, and, and go back out and play the second half of this game. And that's really how these Paralympic athletes feel. Um, and that, that's a, you know, it, it's, it's a really um, exciting and comforting and rewarding moment to hear them um, express how they feel welcome, how they feel involved, how they feel the energy of the organization is behind them, um, that, that, that we're, you know, we're right there and we're still in it and they've got the resources and the energy of our organization behind them in a way that, that they hadn't felt in the past. And, and that's exactly what we were trying to do. Will there be any modification of the, uh, the protocols for coronavirus for the Paralympics, which are three weeks away or so? Any chance that things will be uh, modified, relaxed? I don't know that I would use the term relaxed. I do think there are some lessons um, that both the OCOG and individual NOCs have collectively learned together on how to manage um, a variety of sort of quarantine and modified quarantine and isolation scenarios that we're all 
better for. Um, working out the kinks in that system in the early days was challenging for everyone. Um, as you, you know, you you can write policy and then as you have to implement policy, you always learn a little bit about how to best do that. But we feel really good that the the kinks in that and the implementation of that has been worked out. And I think there are some modifications, not so much to the policies in place, but I think to the way those policies will be implemented um, that we feel actually very comfortable with and um, continue to feel a high degree of confidence that that those games uh, will be conducted in a in a really healthy way. Um, and you know, as as you know, we're all operating under a a, a, a pretty clear pattern of daily behavior that everybody's gotten used to and and is kind of doing their part and it's working. Yeah, have you had any any you haven't had any really incidents problems with uh, with Olympians Team USA members uh, following the protocol routines? You know, we I mean, if anything, we've we've reminded everybody and and each of us ourselves that you know you you got to keep your mask on all the time when it is oppressively hot um, and you're talking. It 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 is you know. There are moments where you want nothing more than to be able to take a breath of fresh air and take that mask off. And it's just the discipline of all of us reminding each other all the time. We got to keep the masks on. Um, the social and physical distancing has been really, frankly, quite easy and natural. Um, I think people have have done a great job. We've not had any significant concerns at all. And um, we, we, re we remind each other all the time. Guys, we got a few more days. Let's stick with it. Um, make sure we're minding our P's and Q's and and behaving the, the right way here to keep everybody safe. How much of a help has it been for there to be no spectators? In terms of atmosphere, it's it's really bad, but for access to the venues, for uh, uh, the impact on the operations of the venue that 10,000, 20,000 or more fans have, must make it much easier to uh, access venues, to uh, move about Tokyo without worrying about hordes of Olympic spectators. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, if there's a silver lining, um, that's the silver lining on, you know, the, the environment here. It's tragic that the country has not been able to enjoy the competitions the way that, frankly, they're, they're due. Um, but it has created an environment where, you know, those who are in the venues are are all part of part of the movement are all under these protocols. Um, and and there is a you know, there's a big difference between having a full stadium and a, a handful of folks. But I'll tell you, in many cases, the athletes and the coaching staff and the sports medicine staff and, you know, all of the support structure where people can find a few minutes, they're going out to support their teammates. And so you're feeling that support in the venues, and it's been, albeit on a on a quieter, less robust way, but the support is there. And I think we, you know, we've heard a number of athletes say, "Hey, I, I heard you. You know, I, I heard you say my name, and I heard you out there, and it helped." And so the teams really coming together to support one another, I think, has been fun. I know certainly. Um, we've stood next to our peers from around the world in many instances in the spirit of sportsmanship and had a, a good bit of fun. So it's it's been nice. The Beijing Winter Olympics are, are six months away. They haven't been postponed. They're still on on time for when they're supposed to take place in, in, in 2022. But you've had to uh, 
divide your resources getting ready for Tokyo while you also get ready for Beijing. Um, how are your preparations going there? Yeah, it, it has been, you know, a challenge. Fortunately, we had the benefit of a lot of time. Um, so we knew this was coming. We knew we were going to have a very tight turnaround and we did our best to plan accordingly. But it will be a very busy few months here, as you can imagine, trying to uh, recoup. We, we did restructure some of our typical post-games activities and, and are waiting until after Beijing to do that for the collective summer and winter. So we, we've modified our operational plans a bit to accommodate and allow for um, this really tight turnaround in our organization. And, and I would imagine some of our peers around the world have done the same. Um, but we're, you know, we'll be ready. Um, we've certainly, the, the challenge for us at this point is, you know, most of us from around the world have not had much opportunity to get into China. Um, to do the planning work on the ground that needs to be done. And so, that, you know, that will be complicated. And we certainly will have a lot to do in the last few months of this year. And then going into these games, an equal amount of uncertainty of what the environment on the ground will, will really be like. But um, we had that uncertainty coming into Tokyo and everybody worked really well together to figure out how to navigate the environment. I'm confident we'll do the same, but it is, it, you know, it will be a, a second challenging games environment for sure. And what do you hear about the possibility of, of spectators being, or at least foreign spectators not being allowed to attend these games with six months to go, there's nary a word about any kind of ticket sales abroad. Yeah, I've not, I've not heard a thing. Um, and I expect probably um, they're waiting to get this one officially closed and and hopefully fairly shortly thereafter we'll get some indication as to what the plans are but I, I don't have any information there yeah members of Congress still say they're not happy about the US participating in Beijing um, you of course uh, feel that the sport is uh, sport is king in this in this in this case uh, not politics but are you still anticipating uh, the, the Beijing Olympics is going to draw flack from politicians and uh, other non and, and non governmental organizations. Uh, unfortunately, realistically, I think it's a conversation we'll continue to have, and and I hope that um, you know members of Congress, but but members of U.S. society broadly have been able to watch um, the moments in these games, the sportsmanship in these games, and understand the power and impact of what this is and what it does in bringing the world together um, outside of political differences and outside of uh, the number of very hard issues that exist in our world. This is a moment in which we can come together as countries and compete under the principles of equality and non-discrimination and sportsmanship. And we have seen that play itself out in a really powerful way here in Tokyo. And I'm hopeful that we can all uh, celebrate and allow that very same thing to happen in Beijing. Now, finally, with the 2032 city decided, uh, Beijing, uh, uh, Brisbane, Australia will host the 2032 Summer Olympics. The next uh, choice for the IOC is picking a, a city for 2030 Winter Olympics. And of course, Salt Lake City is one of the contenders for a future Winter Olympic Winter Olympic Games. Uh, with with 2032 out of the way, have there's has, has there been any acceleration or increased interest in talking with the U.S. about Salt Lake City 
as the uh, candidate for 2030? Well, you can imagine uh, being here on the ground with our peers, um, the members of the IOC. Um, it has been a topic of conversation for both Suzanne and myself uh, for the last couple of weeks. And it, we will continue to have conversations. You know, it's important for us that this community understand that Salt Lake is a wonderful city that is ready, um, willing, and able to host a really outstanding winter games and that we'd like to do so. The timing of that is still uh, to be determined, but we've had a lot of conversations over the last few days and we do hope to have, you know, the, the winter um, host city commission continue to uh, understand and learn more about Salt Lake and Utah and the surrounding areas and, and what infrastructure exists there, the commitment that exists there. So we will continue down the process of having those conversations. And when the moment and the time is right um, to, to sort of officially throw our name in the hat around a specific date, we'll do that. We've not done that yet, but um, the energy is there and the conversations are absolutely happening. There, the, there's talk that there's conflict potentially between the marketing program for Los Angeles in 2028 and a 2030 uh, Winter Olympic City in the United States. Is that one of the issues that you're trying to work out and figure out how it might be able to uh, uh, be, be managed? Certainly the proximity to LA is, is a complicating factor. There's no doubt about it. The timing between the LA games and a 30 winter games is very short, as you know. Um, that doesn't make it impossible, uh, but it certainly does require a little extra work. And then we will be hearing more about Los Angeles before too long. We've, uh, we've been sort of waiting for them to, uh, to, to emerge. And now with seven years to go, uh, it's probably uh, time for L.A. to start making some waves on the way to 2028. I think that's right. And um, certainly that, you know, they've had the benefit of a few years of work that that most in the past have not had. And they've taken great advantage of that to start to build a strong foundation and some good uh, infrastructure in building a, you know, an organizing committee, if you will, getting people put in place, getting plans put in place. And I do think um, we'll start to see them emerge in a very real way here as we come out of these games. Uh, finally, a favorite moment, or maybe let you name two favorite moments in case it's hard to narrow one down. <laughs> but when you, when you, when you go home and you think of, uh, think of Tokyo, a few months from now or a few years from now, what is it that you'll remember? Well, I, you know, I have to say two is not enough, but I'll, I'll pick a couple uh, that are top of mind. Certainly, you know, Ed, that I spent a number of years prior to this role in and around golf as a sport. Um, I had the opportunity to walk the last nine holes in the men's competition, watching a U.S. athlete um, who has deep roots in Japanese heritage uh, win the gold medal. And that was an incredibly special moment, um, both for the sport, but for me personally, uh, that was pretty special. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure I could top that in my first games. And the women are tearing up the course in the women's tournament. That's that's exactly right. And so uh, I, I saw Annika, who is now, you know, the president of the International Golf Federation, someone I've known in the in the golf business and admired as an incredible athlete for a long time. I had the chance to talk with her a bit yesterday. And 
couldn't be more excited about what's happening on the women's side. I'm, I'm not going to make any projections or get ahead of myself there, but um, what an awesome thing. Sarah Hirschland, I hope you've enjoyed your, your, your first Olympics as U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee CEO. It's uh, quite an experience, I'm sure. It has been the honor of my life to be here with this team, Ed. It really is. I think uh, if the board will have me, I'd like to do this one again. Well, you're always welcome here at Around the Rings, and we thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us as the games come to a happy happy ending, I think, in, uh, in Tokyo this weekend. Thanks so much for all you do to tell these great stories. Sarah Hirschland, U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee Chair, has been our guest on this edition of the Tokyo Report. Thanks very much for joining us today. I'm your host, Ed Hula. For three decades, your best source of news about the Olympics, aroundtherings.com.